You're listening to Play Skillfully with Kathy Eggers and Leslie Richards. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, get cozy, because this is going to be good. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe that it is already August. I'm already in the mood for pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin muffins. However, it is still like 100 degrees in Georgia, so I cannot be thinking about that yet. But what I am thinking about is all of you who are gearing up for back to school, especially with your preschoolers. Like, what does that even look like? If you're a first-time mom or dad with us, or you've been doing this for a lot of years, you know this time of year, everyone is like in a hustle and bustle, trying to figure out what's the best way to get started. What's the best way to ramp up for the school year? So I thought today we would just kind of tackle that. Let's talk about it. Let's get into... What is the best way to transition from summer to back to school? I know every year for me when I would start thinking about the next year and what that looked like for my kids, one of the first things I did was like set some goals. I kind of asked myself, okay, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to accomplish this year as a family, um, as far as academics, and in any other area? And I always wanted to get my kids involved. It didn't matter how young they were. We would sit around, and I've mentioned this before, so this isn't new, but if you're just now getting to know us, this might be new to you. Anyway, we'd gather around with magazines and poster boards, and we would just set goals together. It would be like dream posters for the kids. I would let them just look through these magazines and talk about what is it they wanted to learn about this year and it's so fun. I remember one year the kids wanted to be runners. Of course, it was the Olympics year, and they all wanted to become runners, and so we tackled that and put that on the list, and Sarah wanted to be a baker, and so we put that on the list, and Grace wanted to learn Japanese, so we put that on the list, and really nothing was off limits as far as what they wanted to do, but we did that, and of course, that is easier with older children, but the younger ones, I let participate, and they would cut out pictures of you know, cookies. And of course they can't be a cookie, but we could, you know, talk about maybe that they did want to bake or something too and cook with mom. So it was a great exercise. And and even for ourselves, don't forget you. Like what is something new you want to do this year? What is something you want to get back to this year? We are so guilty as moms of putting us on the back burner and all about them. And meanwhile, we're over here shriveling away. Our brain is shriveling away. Our bodies are you know, who knows what they're doing because we're putting everything else first. So you sit down and you look at some things. What is something you want to do? Maybe you want to get back to painting or maybe you want to start a little side hustle and maybe you're, you do great at crocheting or, you know, you're an artist and so you want to do that. So don't sell yourself short on that goal setting. Like do it for yourself as well and get your partner involved and you guys do that together. And I think that helps to give you some clarity about the year. I would say that one of the most important things you need to do if you're going to do that is think about the season. Because every year, I guess it's the beautiful thing about homeschooling. There's lots of beautiful things about homeschooling. But one of them is that you can adjust according to the season. I definitely had some seasons in my years of schooling that we had to adjust. One of the biggest is when we were in the process of adopting our son Joshua from Guatemala, we had to move to Guatemala and sadly not all of us together. So we had to split up our family and I went with some of the children and then my husband would go with some of the children or he he would go just take care of our son we were adopting and I would stay with the children. I mean, it was I wouldn't recommend it, but it got the job done. We were able to bring our son home after a three-year-long battle. 
but homeschooling didn't look like maybe the best speaker at the conference, right? It didn't, we weren't doing like math for an hour and this for an hour and that. We were, you know, surviving and we were exploring and we were discussing hard things and having hard conversations and yet doing some amazing things like living in another country and getting to experience that. So you have to consider what is your season? What if you have a baby that's due any day and you know you're going to be nursing? I think of my daughter-in-law, um, babies. You know I love my grandbabies. And they've got twin boys that are just turned seven, granddaughter five. My grandson is two. And they were blessed and surprised with more twins coming in November. And this is going to be her first year really homeschooling um, the boys, the older twins. And so she started early. I mean, I noticed she's posting and stuff because I'm, I'm guessing, to be honest, we hadn't even had a conversation. This is me assuming. I'm doing, not even listening to my own advice. But I'm watching her and she's telling me the boys are started. And I'm guessing it's because she knows she's going to have to take some breaks when she has those babies. That's a season of life. That's what happens. I mean, we're, we have things that cause us to pause or have to adjust schedules or go longer or start earlier. And that is so beautiful and such a gift about homeschooling that you can do that. So consider your season. As you're setting goals, think about, okay, what season am I in and how will I need to adjust those goals because of the season? And that's okay. And don't like beat yourself over it. Just, just adjust it. And I would say, you know, it's funny when you think about summer, especially in the U.S., right? Because we do school where you do nine months of heavy hitting and then three months of fun. And what I would suggest is to help your kids realize that learning can be year-round, not just school and summer break, but set that mindset and that love of learning that it happens every day. So I know in our curriculum, we have this big back to school, you set up the air balloon, the hot air balloon, and you take your pictures. And that is so fun. And it's a great tradition. But what I hope that your kids see is there's not much difference. So that's maybe the day we start, but you are always asking good questions with your children. You are always inviting them to explore and have a spirit of wonder. You are always encouraging them to um, figure it out for themselves and to experience it all. That should be ongoing and lifelong. So the back to school shouldn't be a huge change, especially in the preschool years. You should always be setting up some sensory experiences for your child. They need it year-round. They need it daily. They don't just need it two days a week because it's in the curriculum. They need it all the time because those neurons are webbing together and everything in their brain is the synapses are building and we want to help them just go together in the strongest form possible so that foundation is ready and willing and able to receive that abstract information when they get a little older. So establish a routine. Kids love routine. Now listen, I am a free spirit if you know me. It is hard to get me on a schedule because, I mean, I'll get up at about the same time, go to bed about the same time, do about the same things, but I like a routine more than a schedule. Or in my early days of homeschooling and being a mom, I tried hard to get on a schedule. And even now, I'll have work friends who will encourage me, hey, you need to schedule that out. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. 
So it's hard for me. It's not my personality. And I'm not saying we can't do things that aren't our personality, but we tend to go back to those things. So what I've learned is I work best on a routine. So, and kids do too. They need a routine. So establish a routine for them and let them know what that's going to be. You know, and often for our preschoolers, they're not reading yet. So do it in pictures. Take pictures. You can have it on your phone. You can make a little book. You can do anything. Post it on the wall to let them know we're going to get up. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to make our beds. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to start some whatever you do to start your morning routine. We're going to read together. We're going to sing together. I'm always a fan of starting with some big movements as I'm stretching. Yoga and, and dancing and things to get them moving physically because that wakes up the brain. And then we're going to you know, maybe get into some math activities. It might look like cooking that day. It might look like sorting that day. And, and move on. So establish a routine that works for you guys and, and figure out, you know, my child works best early in the morning and they um, struggle after lunch. They're tired. They need a rest. So put that in. Um, you notice about 10 a.m. they get a bit hangry. So put in a snack for them so that they have that. As you get to know your child and how they're, you know, wired, then you might have to adjust that routine and be willing to do that. And then, as I'm sure you know, if you have more than one child, what you think works for one definitely won't work for the other. I was yesterday spending the day with my college roommate. She's a mom of 12, homeschooling mom of 12, and most of my kids are adopted, if you know my story, and hers are all, all 12 are biological. Oh, makes me tired just to think about it. But we were talking about that, and she was saying how she has nine girls. And that none of them are exactly this, you know, exactly alike. And of course they're not. So if you try to parent and school these 12 children based on how the first one was, you're going to be in for a reawakening. You've got to be willing to pivot and you've got to be willing to adjust. And, you, and how that happens is you get to know your child. And how do you get to know your child is you be a part of what they're doing. You observe them. You watch them. You... You don't always have to pounce on them and be involved in the activity, but sit back sometime and take some notes. Notice that this might get them emotional or this calms them down. And then you adjust things. Maybe you see one that is a heavier sense, sensory seeker, like they're always wanting to play in the water and they splash it and they splash it and they splash it or they are the first to jump in the mud puddle or they're flipping all over the sofa. Well, those are our sensory seekers. And so guess what? You've got to fill that sensory cup. So you need to make sure you're having lots of stuff in there. Or maybe you notice your child goes more towards the block area that you have in your corner or your books or they want to snuggle and read. So you pivot and you adjust. And in those early years, and I'm, and I'm referring to the early years at two to seven, there's so many things that need to happen in those years. But it's not what U.S. academia has said. It really is simple. It's reading. It's language and vocabulary building that. It's self-help skills. It's emotional regulation. It's problem solving and um, communication, verbal communication, moving into reading and writing. But that happens so much easier if you take the time to build the language and build the vocabulary. It's so much better when it comes to reading, if they have that bigger vocabulary and that they're confident in that. 
And then when the time is right and the brain is ready to receive that information, reading actually is a pretty natural progression. If you've started early helping them fall in love with books and fall in love with words, they will get more and more curious about how to do that for themselves. And then you won't be able to stop them. You know, you might have heard Carrie Vosick on my podcast, The Real Kathy Lee, that I did for a couple of years, and then this podcast. Um, Carrie and I met at a homeschool conference, and we're still, I mean, she's like a little sister to me now. We've gotten so close. And I remember the first time I met her, and she still <laughs> tells the story about she was so concerned about her family and their judgment of her kids, and her son was four and not reading yet, and she was feeling the pressure. And and I just remember telling her it would be okay and he would get it and that she just needed to help him fall in love with words and fall in love with books and then he would learn to read. And it's funny now, um, gosh, I'm going to get his age wrong. I want to, is he 10, um, 11, 12? I mean, it's uh, time is gone, but he's much older. And reading, I mean, devours, devours books now. And she laughs at herself and of how that really changed her viewpoint and her parenting. And now she does parent from that approach of child-led. And and child-led doesn't mean that you like sit back and you're checked out on your phone. Child-led means you're super in tune with where your child is developmentally and if they're ready. I mean, if you have a kid that you're sitting down trying to do phonics with and they're sobbing and melting down, chances are they're not ready. And phonics is a part of it, but it is definitely not the most important in teaching a child to read, believe it or not. It is the understanding that words have power and have meaning, and so you want these kids to fall in love with that. So preschoolers, that's what you focus on, falling in love with words and books, making books, telling stories, reading stories, listening to stories, even watching stories. Fall in love with storytelling. And they're going to fall in love with reading. And then, you know, math, basic math. Build that foundation of math. And you need so much of that. But it's done in day-to-day life in those early years. We preach this all the time, right? None of this is new. But establish a routine of what that looks like. And I'm such a fan in the early years of as you go. Math as you go. Let's count the steps as we go. Let's measure the coffee in the morning. Let's measure how we're going to make our bread today. Let's, you know, measure how long and tall and big and is that bigger or smaller or is that, you know, a shape of a triangle when we go to the store. It's as you go. If you can switch your mindset into a curiosity mindset yourself and giving your kids the permission to be curious, that's going to get them so much further in life than following a checklist in the early years. It really is a mental shift in us. And I think we get so bogged down with technology ourselves that it's such a good like babysitter that we will quickly turn it over to our kids just to get a moment of peace. Instead, if we were to offer them things that cause them to have to engage and think and touch and feel and smell and taste and hear, all their senses get engaged and they actually will be able to discover so much more information. And math is one of those things. They need to touch it. One plus one is two with their shoes, with their socks, with the washcloths. This is bigger than this. Wow, mom, your plate is bigger than my plate. My cup is smaller than your cup. 
I have more in mind. Ours is a different shape. That's so much more powerful in the hands-on world versus in a technology world. So offer them that that way. That's what the brain needs. If we really want to feed the brain and help the brain be wired for lifelong learning, that's how it has to be done. And that's why sensory is so important. Like if you don't do anything else, read and do sensory. Read and do sensory in those toddler, early preschool years. Lots of feelings and touching and getting kids' hands involved because that wakes up the brain. And when the brain is awake, it can start building those synapses and and, and help that wiring get formed that is needed for abstract learning. Sensory. That leads to science. Science is, when I think of science for the early ones, I think of questions, right? Always questions. Why is that butterfly like that? Why is that frog hopping? Why is that snake, you know, orange? Why is that bird building a nest there? So many questions. And questions are fabulous. Having kids who are curious is one of the greatest things because that curiosity will lead them to the path, hopefully, of what they're meant to do. So instead of shh, the questions, in a minute, mom doesn't have time for that. Oh, I don't know. Google it. Pause and look at that question. Is valuable. It's gaining information. It's affirming your child that their question is worthwhile. It's if you can follow it up with another question so that they can help search. I don't know. Why do you think? I wonder, well, maybe we could look that up together. Maybe we could learn about that. Maybe we could go to the Discovery Center. Maybe we could go visit, you know, a reptile rescue. Help them get to, I remember, gosh, I remember when my kids were young and they were so curious about inventors. John Michael, fascinated with inventions. Anything, how was that invented? Who invented that? (laughs) He always wanted to know who invented it. And it caused us on many great searches to find out who invented. And it was so fascinating because you think, my goodness, somebody really did invent that. Like they had to think that up. We take it for granted, but children are curious. Often we want to squash that curiosity because it comes at a time we're not ready for. But in your routine, if you can just build in time and just know that some days it's going to be, you got to be slower and you got to be flexible and you got to be willing to pivot because of the questions and following those questions might be the very thing that again helps your child discover that they were meant to be an astronaut a doctor a trash collector whatever they're meant to be maybe it's in that curiosity a scientist that you allowed and encouraged to help them get there so in those preschool years that is what back to school looks like. It's gathering materials. It's inviting your children in. It's establishing a routine of discovery, of experience, of wonder, of giving them plenty of time to explore, plenty of time to be curious, plenty of space to see. I love this Mama Danielle gotten to know her over the past couple of years and watch her soar as a mom and they sold their house and our RV living full time and they've now adopted a rescue or rescued this racing pigeon that 
flew over from Cuba that got lost and he lives with them on the road and her son, Jace, has done all these different things and pottery has been the thing that's just kind of grabbed him, just pottery. And I am watching her reels and TikToks of them going on these adventures for him to take classes from different potters and the things he's made at a young age. And I am blown away by this family choosing to live on the road and move to different places so that their son can explore. And I know that's not reasonable for all of us. Definitely wasn't for me and my big family, but we could take components of that. We could follow our child's lead. If they want to learn about horses, we could start volunteering at a horse rescue or doing different things there. There are so many things we can do to follow our kids' leads that we don't do. It doesn't have to be this grand back to school, this big full schedule. It can be easy and calm. Some days aren't calm. I get that. Toddlers are rarely calm. But I want to encourage you to take it slow, to get to know your kids, spend time with them, watch them, engage with them, ask good questions, figure out what they're interested in and follow their lead. Don't be scared to follow their lead. It might take you to some of the most amazing places you've ever been. And one thing we know, brain research shows us over and over, when children are interested in learning about a subject, they're all in. Learning involves feelings. It's emotional for young kids. So if we can take advantage of the things that they are curious about, then that learning is going to be so much easier. That teaching is going to be so much easier for you. You can do this. If you have questions about how to establish a routine, if you have questions about how to do this in a in kind of a laid-back, light-hearted approach, not stressing about hitting the marks, shoot me a message. My email is Kathy at the Homegrown Preschooler. You can reach me there. You can DM me on Instagram at the Homegrown Preschooler or Kathy Eggers. I'll answer those questions for you. I'd be glad to walk alongside you as much as I can to encourage you in that. This is a beautiful time that goes by so swiftly, but it's so important for them to have that foundation of joy, of experience, of wonder. Let's don't rob them of that. I hope you have a great year. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Play Skillfully. Please subscribe to us at iTunes or wherever you love to listen to your podcast and leave us a kind review if you feel like it. Um, Please visit our website at thehomegrownpreschooler.com where you can use a coupon code of PSPODCAST for 10% off on your first order.